This podcast was supported by the Moonee Valley City Council through the Clock Tower Centre Podcast Studio Residency Program. Do you have a brilliant idea for a podcast that you've been waiting to share with the world? Well, the wait is over, as our brand new podcast studio is now available for bookings at the Clock Tower Centre. The studio is free to book and available 8.30am to 5pm Monday to Friday. Visit clocktowercentre.com.au to book your free recording session. Due to the nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised as we will be discussing serious issues and content-heavy topics which may be triggering to some listeners. These topics may include depression, anxiety, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse and family violence. We believe in purity of expression, so some of our interviews may include coarse language. If you feel impacted by any of the themes and topics discussed here, please reach out to your GP or Lifeline on 13 11 14. There is also a full list of phone numbers and resources available on our website. Please note that thoughts expressed in this production are purely the opinions held by the interviewees and do not necessarily reflect the opinions held by the candle. With that, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the first episode of the Candle Podcast. Today's interviewee is Elizabeth Lish Schketz, a multifaceted and multidisciplinary artist whose works encompass the realms of sculpture, poetry, performance art, and fire twirling. Some of you may know her from her work with Pride of Our Footscray and the running of Poetry Spective both online and in person. Due to Melbourne currently being in the lockdown, we had to record this over Zoom. We hope you enjoy. Now, Lish, you are a sculpturist and a visual artist and a poet, so quite artsy. Can you tell us more about these incredible creations and the way that you express yourself and your work? I have always been arty. Uh, A good example of that is uh, many, many years ago, when I still lived at home with my parents, I made a pineapple. And the pineapple, it was a ceramic pineapple, full size, fully painted and fully glazed. And I brought it home and my mother said, what are you doing with a pineapple? <laughs> it's not real. It's not a real pineapple. You know, and everyone was so impressed by this pineapple that uh, she put it on our television which was a very unusual thing to do, but, you know, I was really, really proud of my pineapple being on the television. And, of course, people would visit and ask us, why do you have a pineapple sitting on your TV? And instead of answering, we'd just dare them to touch it. Touch it. (laughs) Until they touched it, like reluctantly, of course, and discovered that it was a ceramic pineapple. But it, it looked that real, so I've always done these things Mm. and both of my parents were the same like my mother was a painter and dressmaker and she used to recite poetry just from her own head Mm. um every day there was something whether it was the lady shallot or the highwayman or something in latin or a folk tale or whatever it was she would do that and my father was an engineer, draftsman and musician who played a 12-string guitar and he would sing and he would teach me little rhymes in Afrikaans and things like that. And for years I thought he wrote the uh, Bob Dylan song, was a Bob Dylan song, Mr Tambourine Man. And I was sure that my father wrote Mr Tambourine Man because he would play it and sing me. And then when I heard it, on the radio years later, I was shattered to find out that my father didn't write Mr. Tambourine Man. <laughs> um, yeah, which is very funny because my kids thought that I wrote Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. I would play it to them at night. And one day I was in the backyard with my fire sticks and my daughter announced, Mum, 
there's a man playing your song on the radio. <laughs> what are you oh, talking about? And, he, and, and then Tyrell came out, it's true, it's true. And they got me to come inside and there's Johnny Cash playing Ring of Fire. We had the talk. So, so there's always been, I've always created things and I've always made things. And I think it's just part of me. I don't always have an explanation for what I'm doing um, unless it's premeditated. But most of the time the things that I make and the things that I do are just something that I feel like doing at the time. Mm. You know, and I've always loved telling stories. So when I discovered poetry, I was like, oh, this is something where I can tell a story with brevity in a smaller form and turn it into a real piece of art. It's a challenge and I like a challenge. Mm. Does that answer your question? It absolutely <laughs> does. And I'm curious about when um, you say that you like a challenge, does that mean that when it comes to your creativity you like to challenge the limits of what you can produce or is that in the form of, I guess, exploration in your creativity? What I can produce, exploration, if somebody dares me, I'm even worse. If somebody gives me a challenge, I'll try it, especially if it's an art form. I, I can't resist. It's just because I love it. it. It comes from a place. It comes from that place. You know, I love creating. And they all fall into the same thing, music, sculpture, poetry, storytelling. Um, even my fire twirling, you know, um, I like to challenge myself and and turn that into another form of art as well. So, yeah, uh, all those all those things together, I'd say. So, how much of uh, your art would you say is autobiographical? Quite a lot, actually. Um, a lot of my writing comes from life experience because, you know, despite my years, I've had a very 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 full life. Um, occasionally, occasionally, you know, I delve into fantasy just for fun, um, but I don't tend to use those very often. So, um, I've, for example, I've actually rewritten just for the hell of it um, sections of The Hobbit as poems. Oh, that's like, cool. Yeah, but I've turned them into like traditional style things, like to seek the Dreamtime Rock of Old, which is a mix of fantasy and reality I suppose um, and also a little bit of a reflection on times that I travelled around Australia because I actually did travel around Australia for quite a few years woofing which is willing workers on organic farms mm-hmm. and forest blockading and getting myself into a lot of trouble but for a good cause <laughs> so <laughs> so I'd say a, a bit of both but but definitely a lot of um, biographical stuff or or things about friends, other people, you know, different connections. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So that there seems like there's a lot of you that's embedded in your art forms and in your creative approach. I was hoping we can save this question for a little bit later on, but I feel like it's heading towards that trajectory. Let's talk a little bit about authenticity in your work. Oh, I find that one a little tricky. <laughs> it is. It is a. It is tricky. I'll be honest. I'll yeah. be honest. Um, a lot of the time, I don't like my work. Um, sometimes I do, and when I do, it worries me. I, I, I kind of think, oh, you know, I like it. What's wrong with it? And I sort of I get past that eventually. Um, and sometimes I find. My own work is even a little too confronting for me. So mm. it takes me a little while to get used to the fact that I've actually written something or made something, you know. And an exa- another example of that was I wrote a piece about a reoccurring dream I had about my cervix uh, after my cancer surgery and I was rebuilding it. And it's a, it's a powerful piece, but... It's confronting. And a f- artist friend of mine who is also a poet and lives in Germany now, Kristen Turbot, painted this poem. Yeah. And when I saw it, 
I just stepped back and I had to run out of the room and have a sob and then come back. And that was when I finally liked the poem. It was kind of, I saw it differently. So it, it takes a little while for me to appreciate what I do. And, and, and I'm, and when I do write, I'm not thinking about whether or not somebody else is going to like what I've done, whether or not it's trendy, whether or not it's politically um, on and things like that. I'm just writing what I want to do. And, and I think that's where the power comes from um, is when, when you write what you want to do instead of what you think other people will enjoy. Uh, occasionally I do that, but as a general rule, I just write whatever I want to and make sculptures that I want to make and do the things that, you know, I like to do. Otherwise, it's, I don't, I'll sabotage myself and I'll get to a certain point and just stop and put it away. Um, yeah, and I've, I actually have manuscripts that I started 10 years ago that um, other people said, oh, you should write this, and I started. And then I went, no, I've gotten rebellious. I'm writing my own and just <laughs> put it away. Yeah. <laughs> does, is, it, does that answer your question? Oh, it certainly does. And I think with authenticity, it's it means something so different to different people. And I think in our own exploration of what authenticity is amongst artists, we've had a wave of all different kinds of answers, whether it's personal or whether it's like theory-based. So I'm really pleased with what you've expressed there. Thank you. Well, I tried the uh, writing what I thought people wanted and it wasn't good. It just, it didn't gel. It was like it was crafted, you know, and I used forms and did all those correct things and I still... I'm a firm believer in using poetic forms when appropriate uh, and that sort of thing and um, honing your craft, but you, it needs to come from inside you and it needs to come from a different place. It's not an external exercise. And it doesn't necessarily mean that what you're putting out, like for me personally, uh, a piece that comes out from any artist is authentic by default because it exists. Like I mm. think this this um, idea that an artwork it requires to have a certain level of authenticity is is absurd, um, and I think it's a word that doesn't have any real meaning anymore, mm. quite frankly. But um, I, I find that very interesting because uh, you know I work in a few different fields as well, and a lot of the time I work within in more fictional or fantastical realms, but they're still authentic because I wrote that and I created it. I hardly agree. I hardly agree with that. And I've never bought into the concept of authenticity because if you if you look at history and you look at the world, everything has been said before, mm. written before, done before. The difference now is how you're saying what it is that you're saying and if you're using your own voice and your own concept it has authenticity mm. definitely you know and I'm a huge fan of your work Sasha and oh, I have you. never never considered you anything but authentic as well as unique you know and, and I mean that oh, thank so you very much we agree on that heartily <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've just I've just noticed a lot of people throwing that word around, and you know, they it, there seems to be almost like an authenticity Olympics going on mm. with a lot of people's work. Like, who is more authentic than the other person? But at the end of the day, it's like you're both putting out artwork. Why is one more real than the other, and what defines that anyway? So I, I think a, a lot of it is um, people possibly not being able to distinguish. Uh, something that feels genuine to something that feels like a representation of raw emotion. Mm. And that raw emotion is quite vulnerable and can be overexposing for a lot of people. And that expectation is, it's, it's quite a, a lot to expect from an artist. I think it's cruel, frankly. Um, I mean, there's a reason that acting is called acting, not doing, mm. you know, it's a reason it's called a play. 
because mm. it's not real. That's the other thing. Volume. The amount of work. It, 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 it's, it's something that has always irked me is the idea that somebody needs to be prolific and needs to write something brilliant every single day or once a week. That is not how art works. There isn't a timetable. You, you, you go by your own instincts. It's not something to be forced. So I don't believe that people should have like 10,000 poems each year hmm. or that sort of thing. But that's expected. Like I've actually been to readings and had somebody say, oh, I've seen you read that before. Oh. Says, yeah, so. And I said, well, did you enjoy it this time? Did you enjoy it this time as much as last? Oh, yes, but I thought you would be reading something different. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So there's that expectation as well Which, to have this high turnover, especially particularly in, in the live scene. Um, yeah. What were you about to say? Oh, oh, it just I think that, that that's almost uh, an expectancy from everyone these days due to, you know, the the fact that we have streaming on demand and YouTube and that, you know, we're all having to create content now. It's not art anymore. It's content. We have to constantly be putting it out on a certain basis. It's just an expectation they have, which is absurd. I guess that brings us to our next thing that we'll be exploring is that over-expectation of the artist to the detriment of their potential mental health and their energy. Mm. So, Lish, what was- Oh, sorry, Lisa. What were you going to say there? That's okay. I was I was only about to add that twenty years ago, that expectation was there to an extent, but not like it is now. Now it's a lot. Now it's intense. So that's all. Yeah. Just going to add that little thing. Yeah. That, that is interesting. You know, it's always been there a little bit, but now it's just it's just huge. Mm. Just an afterthought. Yeah, no, no that, that is it's interesting. A, it's a valid one. It's a valid one because I, I wouldn't have that um, comparison, but it's it, it would be really interesting to track, well, what is happening in the art scene where the demand is growing and maybe it is about that constant, having constant daily content to keep people interested. It's like a 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. You know, we need to, if we're not creating news, we are reporting on news and vice mm. versa. If we're not reporting on news, we have to create news. And I'm not saying that there is fake news, but... I don't want to get into that whole that whole <laughs> no, that, no. <laughs> but um you, you know what I mean it's this whole expectation that you know the artist is almost um there expected consistently to create mm-hmm. and that's what we're there to do 24/7 um we have to continually be putting stuff out but we need to take new things in in order to, to be able to to transmute those concepts into something new it's mm-hmm. It's absurd to think that, you know, every week I need to have a new song or a new poem or something. It's ridiculous. Mm. Yep. It, it's, it is ridiculous. And uh, I've noticed recently because I don't just have contacts here in Australia, I have over, a lot of overseas ones. And now with video medium and because of videos, I've had people asking me, when is your next video? Mm. Have you written a new poem? And then, oh, tag you in this photo. And what do you think of this photo? Can you write a piece for this? And then I have a look. And they asked me for seven different pieces in one day. Oh, and I was, oh well, um, it's a good <laughs> thing that I have a backlog of things I haven't used yet. Mm. You know, um, I, can, I can have a look and see what I can find, but, you know, I, I need to sleep. Yeah. You know, everybody, yeah, and we need our downtime. I mean, we're not machines. Yeah. Yeah. So that, 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 that pressure is there. But there are ways that you can, there are ways that you can deal with that uh, and, you know, Way that you, you can deal with that in a way that people don't always realise they're reading the same thing. Or well, I've, I've found ways to do it, like changed an intro. Mm. And they've gone, oh, and it's taken them a little while to realise that they've read that piece before. So it's <laughs> sneaky, but it does work, especially if the piece is relevant. Yeah. Mm. 
it sounds like you found your own method of defining your boundaries or people's expectations. Mostly. 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 Okay. I guess it's a work mm. in progress for all of us. It's a tightrope. Yeah. Mm. I feel guilty. You know, I, I have these times where I feel really, really guilty uh, for not doing every single thing that someone has asked um, or that multiple people have asked, especially when you're organising a fortnightly event and you're organising it during a pandemic. Uh, and last year we had so many online episodes from the beginning of lockdown to the end of that first lockdown for the seven months, every two weeks with features and poets and it was all recorded and it was twice the work. So we decided when we went live again that we would only have the uh, online ones monthly because it is so much work. And now, of course, we're back in lockdown number six and I do to do another online episode, uh, but I'm, I'm finding it difficult this time around to be motivated. Mm. So what, I, what I've done is made a call out and said to people, send your poems and your videos, and once they arrive, then you can put it together and have the date rather than the other way around. And mm. hopefully with those submissions I'll feel a little more inclined because it, it, it's, it's wearing. It's wearing um, having to work on so many things at once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially with all of this going on. Mm. Um, so so that's been a challenge. That's been a challenge. And also rebooking the entire year. And then I've got people asking me about my things on top of all this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's amazing how people... How many people don't understand how much work goes into a video production? Mm. Like, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of Not, work that goes into it. Yes. And when you're dealing with multiple, no, that's okay. And when you're dealing with multiple videos and you have all these other videos, some of them which you need to edit, as well as putting it all together mm -hmm. with all the different um, elements, as, as you would well know, Sasha. Um, it's time-consuming. It is. It is. But it's enjoyable yeah. and it's a lot of fun to do. And the end result is amazing. And I have to admit that every fortnight I would set it all up and sit there really, really excited to watch it, even though we'd done all that work, just to see the finished piece. Mm. And because people watched it live, to see reactions, the reactions of people to um, the different clips, and the different poems and the music and everything is really, really wonderful. Yeah, so, you know, it does also have its benefits. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, it was great. Given that you are doing so much and you're a jack-of-all-trades, it seems, how do you manage your self-care during this time? I wonder that sometimes myself. Um, <laughs> um, I have long baths, I've got to admit. Um, yeah, it's just like because I'm a very active person, like not just physically, but I have a really active brain. Some say I would say a jumpy brain, and I'm always thinking about multiple things. So I've had to find ways to deal with that. Like I have meditation music that I'll put on, and sometimes that helps. It depends, uh, and I'm get I'm slowly getting to grips with time management uh, because th th there are times where I'm just up, you know, and I'm up far too late and I realise, oh, it's 3am and I'm still working on something for so-and-so and I've been up all day. Um, I need to get some sleep. So, yeah, I must admit I did actually get sick um, from not slowing down and from doing too much uh, in the 90s. And that that really wasn't good. So yeah, it's a, a lesson learned, a lesson learned. So I'm getting there. I, I still don't think I rest as much as I probably should. But when you when you've got a creative frame of mind, you, you it takes a lot to switch off. Mm. Yeah. 
books can do it and sometimes just putting something on like yeah a television show that has lots of horses that helps oh lovely yeah things like that so yeah but it is tricky Mm. it is tricky Mm. and if I turn my phone off as well because now you can contact anybody at any time I literally have messages coming in day all day and all night so and I don't answer them I'm 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 getting better if there was a phase where I was answering uh messages and editing things at three and four a.m because I felt like I really didn't want to keep these people waiting, uh, but I'm not doing that now. I'm like, okay, you know, you can sleep and you can look at it tomorrow. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and self-care is incredibly important, especially around now that we're in lockdown in Melbourne. We tend to <clears throat> do more than what we probably should and what we have the energy to give. Hmm. Uh, what do you do for self-care, Sasha? Um, I drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, every self-care method is different yeah um I, I try to just distract myself more than anything mm. um yeah just find ways to distract myself away from whatever the problem is um i would take long baths but i can't in this apartment because the hot water system is ridiculous um yeah i just tend to try to find ways of getting away from whatever it is that i'm sort of sort of, sort of stressing me or find new activities mm. that will keep me motivated because if I have that energy, I can, I have the clarity to get through it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess self-care is going to look different to every person. And you just made me realise that I left out the most crucial one, long walk by the creek. Um, where where I live, the Corroy Creek is at one end of the street and there's a park at the other. And, of course, it's wonderful. So I can just leave the house, walk five minutes up the road and I'm at the Coralite Creek surrounded by beautiful gum trees and ducks and birds and nature. So, and I pick and I gather leaves for my sculptures and my walks are always longer than I say <laughs> because that's my time to get lost, you know, and I just forget about everything um, and clear my head and come back revived and refreshed so that will be the most crucial one my walks by the creek yeah and I also appreciate the clouds take photos of those you know but but that doesn't count as an artistic project it's just a nice little hobby just some (laughs) time and some reflection time outdoors sounds beautiful so I did want to um, ask you a little bit about mental health since this podcast is about mental health, about normalising, about learning from artists and how they manage their own mental health, and that is going to look different to every artist. Could you tell us a little bit about your mental health journey um, and, of course, depending on your comfort with that, but could you please tell us a little bit about how you've managed your own mental health? Okay. Uh... I've had a few different ways of getting through certain parts of my life and overcoming mental health issues. Uh, When I was very young, of course, I had an alcoholic father who was, well, an abusive drunk. That That would be the kindest kindest thing I could say is that he was an abusive drunk and that that really did uh, affect me for a long time and in that instance I went and saw a social worker and just talked and I just I sat with this woman each week and told her everything I just sat there and talked and talked and talked it out of my system and that was really the way I dealt with that then when I was younger Um, and then of course I went off forest blockading and traveling and um, I got drugged in a pub I was at a pub and I was playing pool and I had one drink and this man drugged my drink and carried me upstairs um, and did this thing I couldn't move and I couldn't see uh, beyond 
yeah. And the next day I remember waking up naked in this room and what happened? <laughs> um, so I just went and had a shower and that shower, I think I was in there sort of warm and cold and I had what I call a vibe shower where you just imagine this light coming into you and as that light comes into you, the water washes away anything that is harmful in any way, shape or form. Uh, and I did that every day um, when I was at Forest Blockade because I just got up and went to this blockade. I swam in the creek. It was freezing. It was below zero, the water in that creek. But I dived in it every day and just did a lot of uh, mental sort of work on myself at the time. And, of course, then it happened again, but it wasn't a drugging this time. I was asleep and someone else raped me in a teepee. And that time I actually got up and screamed. I screamed at this man and I kind of beat him up which in hindsight, beating him up wasn't the right thing to do either. Um, but I didn't know what else to do and I couldn't stop kicking him. And I was so angry. And uh, in that instance, everybody heard about it. And it was a very sort of shameful time for me. I felt really ashamed. And they had a meeting to discuss what happened. And it was in doubt as to whether or not it was a legit rape and all that sort of thing. And I just sat there and let them say all this stuff and I left that place. I just up and left. Um, and I was pretty wild for a while, just partying, partying and socialising and not facing anything after, after that instance. And then uh, I ran into my best friend and she kind of knocked some sense into me <laughs> and had a really long talk with me and got me to go and see someone. So I joined a group for a little while and talked about it and then moved on uh, and started going back to poetry again. And that really helped going back to the poetry scene and making new friends and new contacts and just leaving that part of my life behind me as memory, a lesson, I still don't know what to call it. And um, that's when I met my husband, Paul, who I've been married to for 24 years, and I met him at a poetry reading. It was poetry and music and it turned out to be the best thing ever and we were friends for a long time before anything happened, I, I was really um, guarded. But that's how I dealt with things. There was a lot of writing that I would never read to anybody because I don't think that therapy write, writing is really necessarily poetry, or in this instance it's not. Um, those things can be written about in a poetry form, but I kind of didn't really go there. I've written three or four maybe. Uh, about that time um, and then of course here we go again uh, after the kids when my children were four or five I developed cervical cancer and with the cervical cancer that was another challenge again because both of my parents had died from various forms of cancer so I reinstated the vibe showers <laughs> and did a lot of meditating and talked to a couple of friends and just kind of went with it. But I knew within myself that I wouldn't die. So it didn't really hit me until after. And afterwards I found I was very angry. And, again, I had to find someone to talk to in that instance. But most of the time I tend to internalised for a while and then write things out of my system and destroy it 
in some way, shape or form, whether I just drown it in water and throw it and use it as fertiliser in the garden or sometimes it'll end up in the fire pit, some fire swelling. Fire swelling is another really good way of, of for me to get my angst out or my anger or my sadness or even joy. Um, I know when my mother died, I did a lot of fire swelling and when my a couple of friends died recently, I just went out and twirled and twirled and twirled and I think I twirled for eight hours and I felt better. So, you know, I have different ways of dealing with this stuff. Um, yeah. And then um, after the cancer, <laughs> we were homeless for a little while while I was in recovery and that was the hardest of the lot, I'd say. Um, ironically, I know it, it seems like a strange thing to say, but um, I actually found being homeless was the most stressful of every other thing that I had dealt with because it's, it's a different. You you wonder about not just your self worth, but whether or not you're you're just a failure, and it's so blatant and so obvious and it's there every single day and it's not something that you can avoid or that you can block out and I remember thinking oh I'm having a trolley I'm having my trolley moment when we were putting our things in storage and we had a lot in the shopping trolley and I'm pushing this shopping cart across the lights with my possessions in it people were crossing the road to get away from to get away from this homeless person and yeah that was that was the hardest and that was really really awful and the only way to actually deal with that at the time was to find somewhere to live so it was basically taking the kids to school and Paul going to work and house hunting house hunting house hunting and I didn't settle down until None of us did until we had a place and it was at least a year before we all felt comfortable um, enough to relax at home. And I think we all did that in different ways, you know. Um, I had a little bit of depression for a little while but I bounced back and so that was good. I had like a month where the doctor put me on antidepressants and I didn't really like it. And, but after that month, I was okay and I haven't had any uh, issues since, which is really good. My son gets, my son gets a bit angry and he gets, he gets a little bit depressed on and off. So um, we talk to him and we deal with him. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really huge, huge scare for all of us, actually. Um, losing losing our place like that, so so yeah, that was that was probably the hardest thing. But again, um, a lot of just dealing with each other's emotions and just letting ourselves feel everything was the way to get through it. Like, um, and, and that's the thing with tragedies, and that's the thing with uncertainty is. And, and problems is that you don't dodge them, you don't go around them, you move through them. And moving through them is the way that you can move beyond them. And that's how it works with, I think, forgiveness too. I know um, I did forgive my father for everything and I was with him when he died in hospital, I was holding his hand. And that forgiveness was for him, yes, but mostly it was for me to be able to move on with my life and that which is a huge part of which is the thing that I don't think everybody fully appreciates when they talk about forgiveness and they think, oh, how can you forgive that person? This thing is, it's terrible. It's not for them. It's for the person who is doing the forgiving so that they can move on with their life, so that they can heal, you know, and... That's truly what I think. I'm not sure what else 
to say or if I've told you everything. But um, yeah, that's that's my my take on things. Um, I do have some poems about those times, but I don't write about these things when they're happening. It's usually a lot later. I know when my mother died, it was six years later that I actually started writing something. Um, and I still haven't written about the homeless time. I've written about my cancer times and I've written about other family members and different things, but it's always a delayed thing because I think I think when you've got that element of detachment, you can see things more clearly than you do in the heat of the moment. Um, yeah, not that it would be invalid if you did write something in the heat of the moment, because I know I did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think hindsight, it helps. And, and it also helps you deal with any residual sort of emotions and problems. You know, I was told for as long as I could remember that no one could ever love me. Like, and I actually remember my father saying to me, no one could ever love you. Who would ever love you? Look at you. And that was something that I thought I'd moved on from. And then when I was in hospital, a huge a dozen roses arrived with oils. And I thought, oh, this must be from a group of people because, you know, not one person would ever love me like that. And it kind of hit me, whoa. Whoa, I thought I was over that. And I was in the back shaking my fist, shaking my fist, going, ah, someone does love me. Up yours. <laughs> so, it's, so there's that sarcasm and, and humour as well, you know, and, 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 and these sort of things, they lurk in the background, but you find ways to deal with them. Like yesterday, when we were talking about my birthday earlier and all the wonderful things that came, just for a split second, the same thing happened. It's like, People love me. <laughs> but instead of getting upset, I was like, that's amazing. So yes. it changes, you know, grief and um, those sorts of issues, they change through the years. Yeah, really. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, we, we appreciate it so much. And you've also shown the different waves of emotion that you've gone through in all those journeys and different ways that you've reflected and expressed yourself and sought help? Well, there are times when you when you really do need when you really do need to find help. And it's not a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's self-preservation and it's self-care. And I know that that term has been thrown around a lot. Uh, recently the term self-care um, but self-care really is so essential because it's so easy to lose yourself mm. it's so easy to lose yourself I, I know that that has happened to me in the past you know I've just been and I've looked at the mirror and thought who is this person who am I and I had to take a step back and reevaluate and rethink you know at those times where I was in my life and what I was doing. And that's not an easy thing to do, you know. And, you know, and for men, let yourselves cry. Bloody hell, you know, men should be able to cry. And I actually think that you're more of a man if you do cry and if you do not hide those feelings and those emotions you know it's not a weakness it's a strength be vulnerable you know these are the these are these are crucial things you know these are matters of our heart and our soul and our health and our well-being and if we're not at our best how can we be there for other people and how can we live our how can we live our best lives and how can we achieve what we want to achieve if we're not looking after ourselves and if we're not releasing things when they happen, when we're hurt, you know, it's or when we're celebrating too. I know there have been times where I haven't, something good's happened to me and I haven't wanted to know about it. Um, that's not good either. 
you know, that's not, that's not good either. And, you know, I, I have this thing, I don't like to brag, which is another link back to childhood. And I'm getting there. You know, I have a, I have a lot of projects, as you were saying earlier, but I don't post things. Um, I just had two sculptures in a magazine in America. <laughs> Actually, oh. double page three. But I didn't post it. Yeah, I didn't post it. And I have a few things being published in um, India, America, and also in the Netherlands. And I didn't post them either. <laughs> um, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing, Lush. Because Because of that whole issue, that lurking issue about self-worth is still there, but I don't let it dominate what I do and I don't let it stop me. I've kind of changed it into, right, you know, this is what I have been told, whereas this is not true. This, These are the facts and this is what I'm going to do. So, if, yeah, I've kind of flipped it on its head and now I've gone, okay, that scares me. I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm worrying, so I'm going to do it. And that sounds like it goes back to what you were saying earlier, this idea of challenging yourself. Yes, 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 but in a good way, you know, um, not, not, not challenging for the joy of it and to see what will happen, not to judge myself. Whereas years ago it would have been a test for myself to see if I was worthy of something, you know, whereas now I don't feel that way. Glad to hear it. And Lish, what message do you have for perhaps other artists that might be going through a really tough time at the moment? Be kind to yourself. If you're not creating right now, that's okay. Because there are times when you just need to sit back, take a step back and process things. Mm. Don't rush into, don't rush into the um, creating. Don't think that you have to be creating all the time. You're under no obligation to do so. And if you are, that's absolutely brilliant. While you're making something or writing something or creating music, forget about what's around you and whether or not somebody, one of your peers or friends is going to like your work. Just, just put all your energy into what you're doing and then look at it later, you know, and if it can be improved later, that's when you do it. And if you're not enjoying it, stop, take a breath, have some time out. Don't do something that you don't love and that you're not enjoying. It's, yeah, um, your artwork should come from a place of, love and a place where you're comfortable and happy with what you're doing you can be sad sure but still be pleased with what you're doing with that sadness or with or with that trauma or with that happiness whatever whatever emotion it is that you're feeling and of course that that would be my that would be my advice I'd say and to make sure that you eat properly <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's yes. helpful. And, and don't deny yourself things. Like I know with myself, I forget to eat sometimes, and that's not good. You need your brain food. Um, so, so look after yourself, and don't put expectations on yourself. You know, don't make rules for yourself. Just, just, just do what you're called to do, and enjoy it. And do you have any questions for Lish before we move on to the reading? Uh, no, actually, I think we've seen everything up beautifully. Yeah, Thank you so cool. much. You're welcome. Thank That's you awesome. for having me. Oh, anytime. Lish, and before we wrap up, are you able to share perhaps one of your incredible works and perhaps even do a reading or show a piece? Yeah, I, I, have, I have my book here, but... I, I really thought that I would think of something um, immediately this time, but I I think perhaps this one, it's called The Screen that I wrote in the 1990s, maybe early 2000s, mm. would, be, would be fitting 
for today. So this is called the screens from my breath. Sometimes I prefer the screen, cold, lack of intimacy. Keyboards equal distance for the difficult task of peeling back the core. I can pretend it is someone else probing the ether. A file of juxtapositions sit at the edge of memory on parchments, palimpsest undivided. Sometimes I prefer the screen, separating cortex from lymphatic, another dimension to sit in, to pluck and bend the shape of dreams. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That was stunning. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. I'm glad you liked that. Oh, that was that was, that was fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing and, and thank you so much for being so open with us today. I know sometimes these topics can be a little bit tricky for people, but thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And um, you, you, you've been so lovely in this interview, both of you, um, that I feel really comfortable to actually speak. So, and that that's always a huge help, you know, um, for the person being interviewed. And, you know, I was really honoured to be asked. It's, I'm delighted to be here. And I just hope that I was helpful, helpful at all, really. Mm. Very helpful, Lish. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, incredibly helpful. Thank you. We would like to thank our guest, Elizabeth Lish Schketz, for spending some time with us, as well as Mooney Valley City Council and the Clock Tower Center for Performing Arts for supporting the candle. If you like what you've heard, please follow us on all the socials and our website, and we will hopefully see you back here very soon. If you need support, please don't hesitate to contact your GP or Lifeline on 13 11 14 because working in the arts shouldn't be like lighting a candle at both ends and looking after your well-being is important. I'm Gio. I'm Sasha. Thank you for spending the day with us. This has been The Candle Podcast.